Arlington police say protests Monday remain generally peaceful, but say there were, quote, several agitators. Send me another unit, please. Send me another unit. Look what you did to my store. A movement, I'm telling you, they're not going to stop. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. All right, welcome back to Into the Fray. My name's Aaron, and we're back for a special episode. I've got a couple of guests on with me, and uh, we're going to be talking about the insanity that's happened this past week. Uh, I got to be honest, I did not see that coming. I did not see the violence of the Capitol coming. I actually had an acquaintance of mine who asked me last Sunday, hey, do you think this is going to get violent? Do you think this is going to turn into a riot? Do you think this is going to go the way some other things on the left have gone? And my response was, no, of course not. Like, that's not what Trump supporters do, right? They go out, they wave their flags, you know, maybe they talk big once in a while, but really they're they tend to be pretty peaceful. Um, so full disclosure, that one, that one caught me completely off guard. Before we get into things, let me, I'm going to let my guests introduce themselves. Hi, I'm Ben. <laughs> so, uh, I'll tell you one thing about Ben. Ben is very, very well read. Um, Ben's the one who introduced me to the Gulag Archipelago after he read the entire unabridged version. So, uh, that should tell you something about Ben. And, uh, Go ahead. And I'm Michael, not as well read, but I do have some opinions and uh, I'll be sure to pipe in whenever I think it's going to contribute some way positively to the conversation. <laughs> All right, cool. So the first thing I want to start off with, and this is obviously this is my opinion, but Trump was absolutely wrong to demand Pence overturn the election. That was that was not OK. Now, if you watched Trump's speech um, at the Capitol that was the only thing in his speech that I actually disagreed with. Um, everything else, I, I was on the same page with them, but it was not, that should not have been laid at, at Pence's feet. The argument for Pence contesting, for the argument for Pence overturning the contested states, it was based on sketchy precedent that probably should have never existed in the first place. If you look back at what happened in the, uh, in, uh, the election of 1876, they basically just kind of ignored the Constitution for a lot of that. And a lot of what they were expecting out of the other day, it kind of came, it stemmed from that and rules that were created based on that. But it's not supported by the Constitution. At the end of the day, the states vote. And that's part of the reason why we have the Electoral College. Part of the reason why we have, that's why we don't vote by popular vote. The states themselves, the way they set up the Constitution, the states themselves vote. And so if there are problems with the state vote, it needs to be handled at the state level. I totally agree. I know even before the Jacksonian era, the state legislators are the ones who chose the electors. It became more democratic over time in history, but at the same time, um, you know, just as the founding fathers feared tyranny, they also feared the majority. And they set up the Constitution and the electoral process the way they did for a reason, and I think it was wise. Yeah. The problems happened at the state level. They need to be handled at the state level. Now, they weren't. That's a problem. That's something that needs to get fixed. But to throw this at the feet of Mike Pence, to take this to the, to the federal level, you, we really cannot have the feds overturning the states when the states are the ones voting. That's, that is a recipe for disaster. We don't want to set a precedence for uh, presidential overreach, especially right now. 
Now, one thing, I think Senator Cruz's objection was completely appropriate. And let me explain that. What he asked for, at least as I understand it, maybe I got something wrong, but from what I understood, what he asked for was that we have 10 days to investigate and for the state legislatures to be able to revisit what's going on. Yeah, I mean, generally speaking, if someone is acting completely honestly, then they will have no issue with someone else looking over their work. I mean, that's just in general. So if there's objections to looking over election results by states or anyone, I mean, does that tell us something? I agree to a degree, but I mean, I would like someone to paint the picture for me wherein Trump ends up being the president after all of this. I don't, I don't think so much that, that that's what we should look for. What we should look for is, okay, we're going to accept that Joe Biden's the president, and we're also going to admit and acknowledge that, as you said, Aaron, there are problems at the state level with elections, some of them having to do with COVID and how we had to switch to these mail-in ballots. A lot of them were already growing and growing based upon this culture in America that you shouldn't have to prove who you are to vote. Okay. So those things need to be fixed and maybe now they will because it's come to a head, but I don't know that our target or aim should be Trump should be reelected because of it, but rather that four years from now and even two years from now in the congressional elections that we're able to have cleaner and clearer results. I agree completely. Um, The goal is, I mean, as much as we would like to see Trump reelected, that is not the goal. The goal is to see a fair and free election. One of the problems that we ran into with this thing was that the states were breaking their own election laws. And I think that's part of the reason why people tried to justify um, overturning or or interfering at the federal level is because, well, they're saying, well, the states broke their own laws and there was, you know, we couldn't fix it. We tried to fix it. Even the courts weren't working with us. Even the courts were doing unconstitutional things. And I get that. All of that was wrong. All of that is a serious problem. But really, at the end of the day, it's not the right way to handle it, right? You cannot throw the baby out with the bathwater. As much as having the Democrats controlling all three houses of government is going to be a complete disaster, destroying the Constitution, which is really the framework that we're built on, that would be far worse. It really would be far worse. Now, yes, the states broke their own election laws. um, And yes, that that caused problems. What I'm kind of worried about at this point is with Biden in and with Democrats controlling both houses of Congress between Biden and the Senate, they can pack the court. Okay. First off, they can get rid of the filibuster. If that, that's the first step, if they get rid of the filibuster, then at that point, there's really nothing that the minority party can do to intervene. Um, that was like really the big weapon. If there was something really horrible that came up, if it was really that bad, then you make sure you have plenty of protein, keep some energy bars with you, and you're going to be talking for like five days, right? And, and that was the only way to stop the, the, you know, the majority if they had real control. Without that, there's nothing to stand in the way of Biden and the Senate packing the court and putting enough leftists on the court to overwhelm it and take control. At that point, they have all three branches of government. There's, there's no separation or balance of power at that point, not at the federal level. Now, I fully expect that to happen. Um, there's other things I kind of expect to happen, too, along with it. I fully expect that to happen. Really? Of course, I could be wrong, right? I could be wrong. But I do think that they're going to try to seize enough power that they never have to worry about losing it. Now, if, I, I, want, I want you to be wrong. <laughs> oh, I want to be wrong, too. Trust yeah. me. I want to be wrong on this. Um, but that's, that's kind of what I, what I see coming. But what I think needs to happen is I think we really need to put a focus on really grounding the free states, making them havens. 
I was thinking about this several days ago, and then I watched uh, uh, Glenn Beck's Wednesday night radio spe- sorry, TV special, and he called them sanctuary states, right? Basically constitutional states, so that even if the federal government, and, and he, it, was, it was great, he was along the exact same lines I was thinking, even if the federal government does something horrible, you know, Biden has said, I'm coming for your guns. And then on top of that, right, they want the Green New Deal, they want Medicare for all, they want to go full socialist, and they have the power, they will have the power to do it. What I think needs to happen is I think the states need to become sanctuaries where people can go and live free. And when the federal government does those things, they say, not here. It's not crossing our borders. Yep. I think federalism works. And in most cases, and for the most part, it works. I agree. And I, and I remember listening to your show from, I think, Thursday, where you talked about a return to focusing on states as a Republican Party in order to kind of go forward. Um, if I'm not mistaken... I think with regards to court packing, um, I don't think it's happened since the 30s with FDR. Um, it would certainly be a nuclear option. And it would certainly, you talked, Ben, about precedence. It would certainly be bad precedent because in four years, it could be a Republican presidency and, and we could be just be going the other direction. So I would hope that cooler heads would prevail. I know we didn't elect Ocasio-Cortez, right? We, we elected Joe Biden. He's not the furthest left uh, of the options if you would, had thought back a year ago to the Democratic um, <laughs> primary election. So my hope, and maybe it's ignorantly blissful hope, that is that we can kind of have some cooler heads prevail and folks from both sides of the aisle kind of come together, especially after this past week where we've seen what extremism will do to our country. Oh, yeah. No, I absolutely agree. And I hope that they don't try to pack the court. Yeah, exactly. Fingers crossed, right? I really hope that they don't. It's very possible that they don't, but the, the truth is we didn't elect President Biden. We elected President Harris. President Harris Correct. is that nuts, right? That, that is I mean, troublesome. Do, do you guys follow the Babylon Bee at all? The yes. Babylon Bee has a tendency to... Predict the future? Uh, yes, exactly. <laughs> right? They have a tendency to predict the future. They have a tendency to write articles that turn out to, instead of being satire, turn out to be actually completely you, legitimate. You read a headline and go... That's absurd. And then a couple months later, what? Yeah, no, exactly. So on the Babylon Bee's 2021 predictions, it says uh, January 20th, Biden is inaugurated. January 21st, Biden dies of natural causes. Not COVID? Comorbidities. Comor- right? Something. He'll, uh, he'll fall down a flight of stairs or something. I don't know. You hate to think it, but I think everyone is kind of expecting him to not make it all the way through his first term. I think we all know... He's got some cognitive issues going on, and uh, I think we all know that we're getting Kamala Harris as our president. I told my friends a couple months back, uh, before the end of the first quarter of the year, it'll be Kamala. We'll, we'll see. I, I, I think you're probably right. I might give him a little bit longer, maybe another couple of months past that, but I think you're right. Um, so let's talk about the, the Capitol breach, right? The riot at the Capitol, and let's call it what it was. It was a riot. There is nothing acceptable about what happened there. Now, there are arguments over who instigated it, who was involved. Very clearly, there were a lot of Trump supporters involved in this thing, and it was not okay. We cannot stoop to the level that the left is at. Regardless of the precedent that was set over the summer, rioting is not okay from either side. No, it's not. Absolutely not. I think if I get McConnell's quote right, he said something like, we cannot equivocate or escalate that which we repudiate. <laughs> his little wrap little there on the, the floor of the Senate. But I think he's right. I mean, and I agree with Ben. There was, to some extent, precedent and, and, and uh, 
it, this was kind of building, right? Yeah. But at the same time, somebody's got to stand up and say no. And and in my opinion, Trump should have done that sooner, and he should have done it more clearly. Um, I think that it wouldn't have happened had he either conceded earlier or said, "Look, there's a there's a way to do this, and this is not the way." And maybe he didn't see this coming the way it came out. I when, so when I watched his video that he released saying, "Hey, please go home," that was the look of a man in shock. Like honestly, he looked like and Trump. Trump handles himself pretty well. So, I mean, the, to see him completely blindsided like that, I mean, that, that's what it looked like to me. Um, that was actually quite something to see, but I don't think he saw this coming at all. I, I really don't. I didn't see it coming either. I saw a whole lot of posts from right-wing um, social media platforms about a protest in D.C., and I thought, well, you know, there's been a lot of protests over this year, and they've been very peaceful. Mm-hmm. Uh, stark contrast to other things we've seen so i said oh great protest dc okay sounds good yeah protest yeah no absolutely i mean shoot if i could have gone all the way across the country and taken the time off of work i might have gone too definitely wouldn't have been storming the cast the uh storming the capital but uh reminds me of uh what was the what have was the fun movie? Storming the have, yes, have fun storming the castle you yeah you'd want to be sitting in pelosi's seat though come on with your feet up on the desk. Not with that many cameras around. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, I think everyone on the right wants to stick it to Pelosi. But, you know, at, at the end of the day, there's a right way to do things and there's a wrong way to do things. I think, honestly, I think that people got to a point where they were desperate. I really do. I think that people recognized that there was no path to without there was no path to getting Biden out of that seat. And that with Biden in that seat, with the Democrats controlling everything, that this was really going to go bad. I mean, imagine, imagine the Obama years, but on steroids and without any opposition. That's kind of what I'm expecting here. And I think a lot of people are. I have no reason to expect anything different. Yeah. So with the Capitol breach, right? Now, a lot of people have blamed this on Trump's speech. I'm going to refute that right off the bat and say that uh, nobody had time to go home and get fireworks and clubs and helmets and Pipe chemical bombs. sprays. And pipe bombs. Yeah, this was definitely planned ahead. Now, I will get to why I think BLM Antifa was there. I do not think BLM Antifa was any kind of majority, not by any stretch of the imagination. I think there were a handful of agitators. Then I think there were a handful of BLM Antifa that wanted to be there just for giggles, right? I think they just wanted to be part of it, see what was going on. But there were a lot of agitators. And I'm not going to call them right wing agitators. I've talked on the podcast before. I absolutely believe that there is a difference between European left and right and American left and right. The, the extreme right and the extreme left, as it's talked about by legacy media, I think they're both on the left. They're two branches of the left. They don't agree with each other. They hate each other. But the left in America is authoritarian. In Europe, and I've talked about this before, in Europe, the right is fascist and the left is communist. And so if you want any semblance of freedom, you're trying to float the middle somewhere as best you can. In the United States, we don't have the same political spectrum. At least I don't think we do. The right is constitutional. The further right you go, the closer you get to the Constitution, the better off you're going to be. The further left you go, the closer you get to authoritarian. Now, is that authoritarian fascist? Is that authoritarian communist? Either way, you're going to authoritarian, right? The two branches of the left that hate each other, but they're still both authoritarian. So what I think happened there is I think there were a lot of whatever branch you want to call them. But I think there were a lot of non-Antifa BLM agitators who were authoritarians who wanted to use force. They showed up ready to use force and 
it's probably set us back at least a generation. So, all right, Michael, why don't we start with you? Tell me, tell me kind of what you saw and what you thought about the actual riot itself. I didn't see any of the protests prior to the riot. I was working and got a text from somebody that said, holy blank, <laughs> what's going on in D.C.? And so I saw the violence and the, um, just the lack of respect for law. And, and my first thought, I, I heard one of the agitators say, you know, this is my house, this is our house, as he's speaking to, to his folks there. And my immediate thought was, this is my house too. So when you say it's, it's your house, are you speaking on behalf of you and the 10 people in front of you? Are mm-hmm. you speaking in, 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 on behalf of Trump supporters, on behalf of Republicans or Americans? Because I went to the Capitol about two years ago and I had to make a reservation and stand in line. And it was a reverent experience when I walked through that building because I understand what's supposed to happen there. And for me, for him to say it's his house and just walk in and toss stuff around and, you know, to what extent this really happened, but uh, rumors that American flags were replaced with Trump flags, that's not your house for that reason. Okay, it's it's your house in that you get to elect people to go there and do very important things that are going to affect you personally. And you have the the privilege to walk in there sometimes if you if you want to experience what every American should experience. Well, I'd, I'd argue that it's not their house and it's not your house and it's not my house. It's the people's house. It belongs to the country. It belongs to all of us as a group. And so, I mean, you're right. I, I, sorry, I'll get back to, I want to get back to you really fast, but I wanted to touch on something you said, the reverence of that experience, right? Why? Because in thousands of years of human history, the only way to gain resources and to improve your standard of living in a country was to take stuff from your neighbors. It was by force. You either took it from your people, so you have a bunch of peasants and serfs and stuff, and they all live a crappy life, or you go and you hit up your neighbors and you take their stuff, and now they're the ones who are basically the peasants and the serfs, right? What did we do here? We created a place where you could improve your standard of living through voluntary exchange. And you could, we, and we, we created a place where there were enough checks and balances to ensure that there were some serious obstacles between us and doing the exact same things. Now, our history isn't perfect. Obviously, we've done a fair bit of that, but it has mitigated it considerably. And the life that we live compared to the life that we would live had we not, you know, had our founding fathers not written the Constitution, had we not gone the, route, the road we did, it's night and day. It really is. All right, so go, go ahead, Michael. Yeah, and just, just finishing up the thought then is, my next thought was, what is happening? And there was a multiple choice in my mind. Is it like rioting, revolution, insurrection? I mean, I didn't know at the moment, none of us did, kind of what's next. Is it going to be Bloody Sunday 1917 or whatever? Yeah. I'll, I'll look to Ben for that one. <laughs> where uh, I think it was prior to 1917. Um, where there's going to be shots fired from the, the, the Capitol Police, and there's going to be a bloodbath. I, I Are was, you talking about Bloody Sunday? Was that France? There, there was one in, in was it, a revolutionary was it Russia, Russia too? as well. Oh, okay. Yeah, it was prior to 1917. I got the date wrong. But, but definitely um, opening fire on masses. I didn't know what to expect. You know, I guess looking back, it could have been a lot worse. Uh, but it's definitely a wake-up call for Republicans, for Democrats, for Americans. Yeah, no, absolutely. So, Ben, what did you... I I want to just get your take. Well, similarly, I was at work all day. So, you know, I'm I'm not watching news feeds and and the like. Um, 
I jumped on a social media platform at lunchtime and saw some clips and was very surprised. Um, unfortunately, I didn't really, I didn't really look into it a whole lot that day. And I have this habit of letting letting events take place and then letting things cool off before I really dig into them because, you know, generally speaking. In the heat of battle, you get a lot of misinformation and a lot of false <laughs> facts. So, yes. Um, I only have very recently started like looking into everything that's happened. So I don't have a lot of information on it. Okay. All I can say is that uh, I certainly was not expecting violence and do not condone it in any way from any party or side or person. And uh, I think it's it's pretty reprehensible, the actual things that happened. Yeah, no, absolutely. Did either of you get to see President Trump's speech that he gave? I saw it after the fact. You saw it after the fact, okay. So one of the things that really stuck out to me from his speech was, because people, after the fact, people were uh, accusing Trump of agitating, and he was saying, oh, we're gonna, I'm gonna lead you down to the Capitol, and we're gonna, we're gonna go wreck shop, right? And then, of course, that's what happened, right? Um, yeah, not quite. Because what, what's interesting, what he actually said was, I, now, it's interesting he didn't lead them down to the Capitol, but essentially he, he Im implied that he was planning on leading them down to the Capitol and that they were going down there to provide essentially moral support for the what he called the weaker Republicans, right? The Republicans who didn't have enough of a spine on their own to do what he thought was the right thing to do. Now, I will say this. I actually agree with that idea. Because what Senator Cruz was doing with that objection, what uh, what what Senator or Senator Hawley, Congressman Hawley, I can't remember. Anyway, what the objectors were doing, they were asking for ten days to investigate, and they were trying to give the state legislators time to handle their business. I think that was a very very good thing. Now everybody going down and lending support, you know, moral support, going out there is a big crowd waving flags, even making some noise. That I think was perfectly appropriate. You know, lending some 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 support to people who might have a difficult, more difficult time in those political situations. That's not what happened, though. Right. Even before his speech was over, people with weapons were marching down toward the Capitol. They were ready for this thing. They came prepped for this thing. So I don't think for a second you can lay this at Trump's feet. Now, there are some people, Ben Shapiro specifically, he was he was arguing that that Trump basically boiled the water, right? He raised the temperature to the point where this was kind of inevitable. Now, he's not laying this at Trump's feet either, but he was saying that uh, that Trump raised the temperature. Now, I, I kind of disagree. Here's here's what I'm, here's my thoughts on this. I do believe that the that the election was stolen. I absolutely believe that if for no other reason than that states broke their own election laws to make sure that Biden could get elected. OK, they broke their own election laws. That's not even to get into all of the video that we have, all of the affidavits. I mean, there's thousands of affidavits of people who saw things that should not have happened. The audit reports in multiple states that are pointing to bulk adjudication where you take an entire stack of ballots and say, these are all for Biden. And and then, of course, all of the weird settings and things that were designed to flip votes in the machines. themselves. there's all of that stuff. Right. So I really do believe that this thing was was flipped. So. I don't believe that you should concede a fraudulent election. That does not mean you don't step down from power. And that's exactly what Trump is doing. So in his speech, he said, I am not conceding. We will not concede. We will not let this go. We are not going to accept this. I think that is perfectly reasonable. And at no point did he say, and we're going to enforce, we're going to use force to get our way. That didn't come out. He never even implied it. 
And so that that's why I really don't lay this at Trump's feet. I completely agree with basically everything he said in that speech, except for laying it at Pence's feet, because honestly, that just it wasn't in Pence's scope. You know, I don't know. I don't have enough facts or evidence. I'm not well read enough to to be able to say that it was or was not stolen the election. But part of me wonders if Biden was or excuse me, if Trump was reelected, if the Democrats would have been saying the exact same thing. Oh, they already and, did. And I wonder how much election fraud on on both sides was going on. And it reminds me of a basketball game where the refing is terrible and the losing team's going to say it's because of the refereeing. Well, the refereeing was just as bad for the other team. Whatever side wins is going to shut up about it. And whatever side loses is going to complain about it. So to some extent, I wonder that it's just not so bad on both sides, partly because of the context of, of this year and what's happened the 2020, I should say that we might be having different conversation on the other side. If it had gone the other way, it's possible. I will present this question, not necessarily to either of you, but just in general, does anyone out there really believe that a man who is showing real signs of cognitive decline, dementia, whatever you want to call it, who hid in his basement for basically the entire campaign, who couldn't get through a speech with a teleprompter to save his life, got millions more votes than Barack Obama, the first black president, the man who was basically deified, who became an overnight celebrity when he became the front runner, and had the media basically worshiping him from the very beginning, touting his praises, promoting him. I mean, it, does anybody really believe that Sleepy Creepy Joe who's hiding in his basement and didn't campaign actually got millions, 10, what was it? 13 million more votes than him, something than Barack Obama, something like that. It was a significant number. And no, I, I can't believe that. I think no. it, it partly has to do with the number of people who came out to vote. And you may have had a lot more Democrats or moderate um, independents who came out who wouldn't have otherwise vote, but they, because Trump's um, positives and negatives are both so high, mm -hmm. you had a lot more people coming out to vote against Trump. And maybe they had to plug their nose while they voted for <laughs> Biden. But uh, at any rate, I think that might have something to do with it as well. I do think that that was a boost. I do think that that really helped Biden. But for example, they identified something like 200. I don't remember the exact number. It was over 200,000 more votes cast than voters casting in Pennsylvania. And that's just one example. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to get into um, some of the agitators. Now, it's really kind of unfortunate that you can't see what's on my screen, but there what I really do think Antifa was there. I mean, I, I, I assume in the next few weeks, we'll probably get a lot more information. So I've got something here, which is really interesting. So phillyantifa.org, this is from uh, Melissa Tate. She, I think she retweeted this, but it's some photos of identified Antifa people from some of them from their own websites who were seen at the inside the Capitol. So got a couple of guys here standing next to a Vikings guy, which again, Vikings guy, crazy QAnon guy, apparently he's been agitating pretty much anywhere he can for a while now. I think I know what the number one Halloween costume will be for 2021. <laughs> oh, I hope so. Only got to wear a shirt. That's that's just not OK. I mean, you'll have a shirt with the tattoos on it, right? You, you got to fake the tattoos. I have to say the the highlight of this guy's life must have been standing at Pelosi's podium in the well of the, the house with his bullhorn, shouting his Braveheart stuff with his Viking helmet on. As horrible as this was, I have to admit, I chuckled at that a bit. I really did. Um, but yeah, we've got a couple of Antifa guys right here. And then 
One of these guys, he has a hammer and sickle tattooed on the back of his hand. Tell me the last time you met someone who supports the Constitution, who wants Trump, who was so dedicated to communism that they had the symbol tattooed on them. Yeah, those are those are polar opposites. They don't exist together. That is yeah. curious. <laughs> that is, curiouser and curiouser. Yeah, no, and I mean, we've got uh, the agitator from, what's this guy's name? Actually, I think he's been arrested by now. Uh, where did it go? I can't find it. John Sullivan. There we go. Utah-based activist from BLM. Very, very outspoken. They've got a video of him in Utah up on a stage shouting into a microphone. This one comes from Taylor, Taylor USA, Taylor Hansen. He does a really good job with that kind of that in, in the middle of it, in the thick of it reporting. So he's got video here posted up on his Twitter of this guy at a BLM rally, ripping up the, you know, whipping up the crowd. And he uh, also was at the Capitol. Now, he says he was just there recording, um, but he went through a broken window. You know, we got that. Now, this one, this was the killer for me. This was actually the very first thing I ran across. This is a video, and I'm going to go ahead and play the video. You can hear the audio, so I'm going to just kind of narrate for you what's going on here. To set this up, this is right at one of the windows to the Capitol, okay? There's tons of Trump supporters all around. Somebody's holding a sign that says, I see dead people voting. There's a couple of American flags in the shot. And this guy in black block, in a black helmet, with a Trump sticker slapped on the back, almost as an afterthought, has a club and is trying to beat the window in. Now, thankfully, these windows are really pretty tough. So he's cracking it, but he's not going to get through this thing. But somebody's shouting, hey, this guy's Antifa, this guy's Antifa, this isn't us. People need to understand that this isn't us. Basically, I'm paraphrasing here. You'll hear it. But let me go ahead and play the clip. You can hear him whacking on the window with his club. No, that's Antifa. We can forget them. People need to know that's not us. And a Trump supporter grabs this guy and just drives him into the ground. Actually, looks like a few of them. Takes him and drives him into the ground. So there were definitely agitators there. Where those agitators come from specifically, I think all over. I think Antifa BLM was there. I think that um, QAnon was there. I think that author- you know, what they call fascist author- authoritarian right was there. What was interesting, so listening to Tim Pool, um, Tim Pool on his Timcast IRL podcast the other day had Richie McGinnis on, and they were both kind of talking about how most of the Trump supporters in the Capitol, they weren't breaking stuff. They were actually just milling around, looking around, seeing stuff, being part of the scene. Yeah, actually, this morning I watched a video of them picking up trash after most of the crowds had cleared out. So, <laughs> so that definitely shows you that uh, this does not represent Trump supporters in general. It seems very clear that there were very specific ideologies at work doing the, causing the destruction. And I think there were some Trump supporters that just didn't handle it well. I really do think that there were some Trump supporters there like legitimate, you know, normally they'd be good people, Trump supporters who got really violent, really caught up in the moment. And and honestly, I think that comes from desperation. Undoubtedly, there were people from all sides that got caught up in the heat of the moment um, that made poor choices, which, you know, frankly, we see often when large crowds gather and start doing things. (laughs) Things. I would just say we need to be careful not to excuse people on our side. Correct. Oh, no, absolutely. Because you could make the same argument in the summer for those in Seattle and and elsewhere. Well, and that's been one of the interesting things is they have been making the same arguments and that's kind of been bothering me. What did we hear when BLM started burning cities to the ground? 
Well, they don't have a voice. They haven't been listened this to. This is their free speech. This is their free speech. This is them. You know, nobody's listening to them. They're going to make people listen to them. And this is, you know, this is the only effective way that they can, that they can, you know, bring about change. And honestly, I was hearing the same excuses. Now, it was all from people who were saying, this is not okay, but this is why I think it happened. Okay. Which that right there, that is a significant difference because all summer long, the media was saying mostly peaceful protests. This is fine. This is okay. Mostly peaceful protests framed by burning buildings. Yeah. Right. Like literally in some cases. Yeah. But, you know, we get the book in defense of looting. We get myriad articles defending what they're doing and why they're doing it and then why it's okay. And that was a major difference. The pundits on the right are all saying, no, this is not okay. This is not even sort of okay. You should not have done this. You have set us back at least a generation. But at the same time, I was hearing a lot of the same, I guess you, they would call them reasons. I'm going to call them excuses, right? They're not being heard. No matter how you cut it, it's not okay. Now, Trump finished his speech. They marched down to the Capitol. This could not have been the been worse timing as far as agitation. And the fact that there was pre-planning here tells me, I, I really think that this was intentional. I even think that the timing was intentional. They interrupted the objections. Now, did overturning the election have a chance? No, I don't think so. Okay, not, at least not at the congressional level. Even, even through objection, I don't think they did. First off, they didn't have the votes. Did the objections to, you know, the suggestion to throw it back to the states, say, you know, have an investigation, have the state legislatures look into it. Did that have a snowball's chance in Hades? Honestly, probably not. Right. We didn't have the House. You know, they, we just didn't have the votes. But I do think it was interesting, the timing that they get into the first set of debates on the first objection. And all of a sudden, this thing gets broken up. So I got a video here and I don't know that the audio is going to do you much good, but I'm going to narrate this thing. This is really interesting. So there's a bunch of examples that people are calling out. And again, we may get different video footage angles coming out of the next few days to refute some of this, but there's been a bunch of videos coming out of Capitol Police removing barriers and letting people in and mass doors opening. So this video is actually them opening the doors. There's people lined up at a couple of doors here. And in this video, you can see all of these people who are lined up the right of the doors and then Capitol Police open up the doors and then they line up. And I'm going to have to edit some of this. But they line up along the hallway and just kind of usher everybody through. And you can hear the alarms going. But these officers are just standing there, lining the hallway, and just, you know, greeting people as they enter. And now you've got a mob coming in with Capitol Police, you know, just saying, oh, welcome. We're going to line the hallways. Enjoy. And I will say this. In some of the barrier incidents, there was some serious push. There's a video of like fist fights between the officers and the agitators because they were trying to hold them back at the barriers and then the barriers just got overrun. That's not this. Everybody was literally lined up just hanging out outside of these doors and then they opened them up. So I, I really don't know what to make of that. There has to be an investigation. I mean, I heard the former uh, chief of police of the Capitol Police Department saying like this shouldn't have happened there there are protocols um to that extent was it somehow orchestrated or coordinated in some way Uh, my understanding is that the capitol police are regulated by congress they report to congress um i don't know if there can be a congressional investigation or interdepartmental but it's got to happen and we've got to know why it happened the way it did absolutely 
it appears as though, you know, there there has to have been some reason for letting them in. And uh, I recall, you know, seeing snippets of it going down at work. Um, some coworkers comment on, commented on it to me a little later saying, did, did you see what's happening in D.C.? I'm like, yeah, I saw, I saw little bits. And they're like, do you know what's going to happen to all the people that are caught on video? Yep. <laughs> in, in this era of cancel culture. Oh, and they where, have uh, cameras and facial recognition all exactly. over that way. Exactly. In, in the era of cancel culture where uh, your social points matter, right? Hashtag China. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Hashtag don't be China. Doing bad things will generate consequences oh yeah well and there are already people who have lost their jobs over this exactly that's what i'm saying there are people that will lose their jobs there are people that will be canceled if you will who will have a hard time finding work ever again yeah no absolutely now was this our reichstag fire what is the reichstag fire i'm gonna i'm gonna jump over to uh i know wikipedia is not the greatest source ever but both the wikipedia and the holocaust encyclopedia so, Holocaust Encyclopedia. So it was February 22nd, sorry, it's February 27th, 1933. And the German parliament building was burned to the ground. Okay. Now, historians have kind of argued over what happened. Um, officially, it was blamed on a mentally ill communist. So what, they, what the official statement, what the official report said was that this guy went in and he started the fire and then he ran away and it burned the whole place to the ground. The Reichstag fire was what put the Nazis in a position to seize basically total power. Okay, that was really the turning point. The president was Hindenburg. Hitler at this point was chancellor. And the Nazis had a decent showing in the parliament. Okay. Now, as a result of this, they were able to convince Hindenburg to pass something that allowed them to go through and arrest the communists. All of the communists in parliament were arrested. Lots of influential communists were arrested. And then the Nazis filled all those seats. So then the Nazis had a supermajority and never lost power until the allies came in and actually stomped them. Physically had to come in with armies and stop them. So that's the concern here. Is, is this our Reichstag fire? You know, we're already seeing people being depersoned. People were deleted from Facebook and Twitter last night and mass and mass in fact there is actually a series of quotes from democrats over the summer that i wanted to play for you and when i got up this morning that account had been deleted and the uh the series of quotes was no longer available on twitter okay, it was just gone point made yeah right exactly and yeah. so i mean is it our reichstag fire did it turn out that way no well not yet but they're true well Physically, did it turn out that way? No. No, it wasn't that bad. No. Was it maybe intended to go that way? Maybe. Some evidence has been presented <laughs> that that uh, points us in that direction. Will the consequences be the same? Oh, I hope not. Oh, I hope not, yeah. too. I think there are some very significant differences. I do believe that the Nazis started the Reichstag fire. I also believe that Hitler was... The person in control of the party. Biden's not Hitler. I also believe this is true. that there was some motive um, in their case in, in Nazi Germany where, that there isn't here. Okay, so the, the Democrats have already essentially won the election. Most people aren't disputing that. The media isn't disputing it, right? 
in the case of the Nazis, they were a parliamentary system. They did have to increase their ranks and their legitimacy, and they thought this would be a good way to do it. And in fact, it was, um, historically, uh, looking back. While, so, while we're not disputing the results of the election, per se, um, this, new, this new social point idea, right, where you can cancel people, that could certainly still come of it. So there is no real path towards political gain, but there is a path towards silencing all of the contrary voices. So I disagree with the political gain thing, and here's why. So what have they done since politically? Okay, They have called for the impeachment of Donald Trump. So have Republicans. No, no, I, I know, I know. But they used this. This was the catalyst for, the, for impeaching Donald Trump. He's got 13 days left. <laughs> and honestly, after this, I don't think people are really going to listen to him too much. So what's the real danger? They want to make sure he can never run for re-election again. They want to destroy him. They want to completely destroy him and everyone who believes in him. Okay. The second thing, they have called for the expulsion of every congressperson who objected. What are they doing? They're taking all of the most ardent constitutional supporters, all of the people who are very anti-establishment, who are there actually trying to do a good job. And they're trying to get rid of them. So you completely destroy Donald Trump, who honestly, he has done a very good job fighting for this country. He's brought a lot of peace to the Middle East. He brought our, our economy roaring back until it was destroyed by, by a virus. And he, he, he's done a lot to really improve things here in the country. And they are trying to completely destroy him. He went against the grain. He went against the establishment. And they're trying to destroy him. And then they're trying to take all of the Congress people who... Are, are against the establishment. They're trying to remove them as well. And so if you look at this, then what do you do? You take those seats, you fill them with establishment people, and you've kind of followed the same pattern. Now, I will say this. I am not saying we are in a Nazi situation here. The Nazis were in an extreme situation. But if you look at the pattern of events and outcomes, I think that there are a lot of really close similarities, just on a different scale. Sure, it was. it's still going to be used as a catalyst to cancel contesting voices. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And that's kind of where I was going with this. I think this was meant to be a catalyst. So what did the Democrats get out of it? I want to get into some stuff that I kind of expect to see coming, kind of get your take on it. First off, it killed the objections that could have shed light on a highly opaque election. Okay. One, the, one of the things that I think made this our Reichstag fire is... This was an opportunity to really shed light on an extremely contested election that seems to have some, ex some really, really bad irregularities. And there hasn't been any real, like we haven't been able to see into what's going on for the most part. And at just the right time, just before they really dug into those thousands of affidavits that the congressman was talking about, all of the evidence that he brought to the table and said, here, sitting on this desk, I have evidence that this is not okay. And before any of that could get dug into, boom, this thing comes apart. It killed objections that could have, done, could have solidified this. My biggest concern out of the whole situation, and this goes back even before the riot at the Capitol, is that they have successfully stolen this election. They have a franchise for it now. They have a model for it now. It can be repeated. And this killed the last chance to really shed light on that. Sure. By, by both successfully stealing an election and putting themselves in power, right, and successfully making it so that no one could even contest the election, they have opened the door to continue to do so. 
indefinitely. Yeah. Now, I want to get back to the Capitol riots. For starters, I am not excusing what was done. I'm not downplaying the damage that was done. But comparatively, there was very little property damage from the Capitol riot. Some broken windows, fair amount of broken furniture. I'm sure that they're going to have quite a job cleaning that place up. It doesn't excuse it, but there was anywhere from a quarter to a half a million people at the Capitol. I have yet to see a photo that was able to capture the entire crowd. If Trump supporters at large were what legacy media says they are, DC would have burned to the ground. There would not be a stick standing. If Trump supporters generally were even at the caliber of violence of BLM over the summer, right? We've seen what a few thousand Black Lives Matter supporters can do. If Trump supporters at large were to that caliber of violence, there wouldn't be a single building still standing in our nation's capital today. I mean, yeah, there's a bunch of broken furniture and quite a bit of property damage inside the Capitol. But with a quarter to a half a million Trump supporters, if they were all what the media is saying they were, that would have been... I mean, that, that's a legitimate army. That would have been unbelievably destructive. You might say it was uh, mostly peaceful. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Most of the people there were peaceful. Just like, at least during the day, most of the people during the BLM marches were peaceful. Were peaceful. Correct. Um, that doesn't change the fact that it was a full-on riot in both cases. True. Right? Now, what, exa- what more was he supposed to do? He immediately called for the rioters to stop. And then he quickly released a video saying more than once, this isn't the way to do it. Go home. What more was he supposed to do? I mean, the, honestly, the only other thing I can think of that he could have done, and I don't believe the Secret Service for a moment would have allowed this, is he could have gone out with a bullhorn, walked into the Capitol building and gone room by room saying, hey, get out. You got to get out of here. This is not the way to do it. Please don't do this. You're not helping. Yes, he could have done that. Would that have been effective? Actually, I think he did end up dead. They, I think they would have killed him. Not because Trump supporters would have killed him, but because I think there were enough crazy agitators there, somebody would have gotten a piece of him. We know there were guns there. There were batons. There were clubs. There was all kinds of fun stuff there. So not a viable option. What else do you want from him? I watched his speech. He did not incite violence. Now, I still contend it was a fraudulent election. He still contends it was a fraudulent election. I think that is a very valid and solid argument. But there's a difference between saying this was not right and saying we're going to use violence to enforce what we want. A big difference. And right. that difference should be noted. Yes. Now, what really ends up coming out of this entire last year is that the swamp is so deep and so systemically infected, it's going to take far more than one man to drain it. This isn't something where we can go, yes, please, President Trump, go fix this for us. I, I think that, that that was a delusion from the beginning, the idea that he could go in on his own and clean house. I mean, he did a lot of good. I really think he did a lot of good. But the idea that he could root that all out by himself, it was never going to happen. All right, now, what's the left doing now? They're calling for peace and unity. Now, peace? Yes. The left wants peace and unity, though, only on their terms. Right? What did we see over the whole summer? I mean, we saw that they will gladly stop the violence as soon as uh, their terms are accepted. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, for sure. And, and, and under no other circumstances. Yeah, I mean, for months, the left has been promoting and supporting the violence, right? They've been downplaying what they've been doing. They've been manipulating the verbiage that they use to describe them. 
um, Kamala Harris publicly called for financially supporting the legal costs of the rioters. The vice, the, the soon to be vice president of the United States over the summer was calling for people to donate to the legal fund for the rioters. And people did donate. And people did. They came out in mass. And rioters broke things and got arrested and then got right back out and went back at it. So no. Do you think she was a, the general prosecutor for the state of California? <laughs> Incredible. <laughs> so only now, after they have what they want, now they're calling for peace and unity. Peace is something we should always strive for, but we should not be uniting with them on their terms. Their terms are immoral, they're destructive, they're unacceptable. And I think at this point, what we need to do is we need to start really strengthening and solidifying the free states so that there is some place that will push back against what the federal government, I think, is about to start doing. The free states have got to be a place, a haven where, you know, we, the, because at this point, I think we've lost the checks and balances at the federal level. What's the next set of checks and balances? The states. That's it. Right. So we've, we've, our first, our first line of defense was the constitution and actually adhering to what it says. We lost that a long time ago. Right. Second line of defense, checks and balances at the federal level, the three branches of government. And I think we just lost that. So what's the next level? The states. I think we really need to solidify the free states so that we've got a place to go and a place that we can, uh, basically a place that we can start from, that we can ground ourselves in to start working our way back toward reestablishing those other, those other lines of defense. The Green New Deal. The only thing they need is the White House and Congress. And they've got it. They've got it now. Um, if you don't understand, for listeners out there, if you don't understand what the Green New Deal is, let me break it down into its simplest form. It is government control of the means of production in basically every industry. It's, re- over, it's regulation and oversight into basically every industry in the United States. We will be socialist. yep yep he was about to say something i think i just said it that was it (laughs) that was my conclusion yep yeah and that is not a place that we want to go okay i really encourage people all of you like listen to the gulag archipelago and i don't recommend reading it only because it's a really really long book it's a lot easier if you're listen to it while you're driving anything like that listen to the gulag archipelago listen to the accounts of the people who lived through that Look into the cultural revolution in China. Look at what happened in these countries that have a... Look at what's been happening in Venezuela. We've got a lot of information over Venezuela. The, the Iron Curtain was pretty dark. And pretty much everything we know about what was going on there came after the Iron Curtain fell. But we know what's going on in Venezuela. That's pretty transparent. Take a look into it. That is not a place we want to go. And I think people think, oh, that can never happen to us. We've been living so comfortably for so long... I think people are thinking, oh, that, that can never happen to us. That can't happen here. We'll be fine. It'll work out. It always works out. But we're not dealing with the same politics that we were dealing with in the 50s, 60s, 70s. This isn't the same thing. All right. Do you guys have anything to close us out with? Just uh, with regards to Russia and Venezuela, you know, you can't really blame them because it's not like they had a, an abundance of natural resources to capitalize upon and, and really make their, their economy robust. And of course, I jest with. Huge oil reserves. But um, <laughs> the other thing that when you talk about the Gulag Archipelago, I am going to I am gonna listen to that one. And I've been thinking about... Be, be warned, it's a heavy read. <laughs> okay. it's, it's heavy. I'll make yeah. it like a, a 2021 goal yeah. spread, there, spread about the year. Yeah, disclaimer, um, warning, there are parts of that that will make grown men cry. I'm not kidding. It's, it is emotionally taxing in places, but it's really, really important to understand. 
I'll give it a read. Um, I, I have read 1984, and I always try to compare, you know, what's happening in the world and in the United States to, to that and to totalitarianism. On the other hand, we've talked a little bit today about some of the censorship, not by the government, but by corporations. And media really has always been kind of moving left or, or seated in the left. Um, and technical or technological media now with Twitter and Facebook, that has me worried as well. They're doing the, the censoring now. And they're not the government. This makes me think more of, I see on your notes there, uh, Atlas Shrugged. So corporations can be um, tyrannical as well. And to the extent that that is going to be an issue the next few years, that might scare me as much as the the power that the government has over the people. Yeah. And the reason I put Atlas Shrugged in the notes is when when I was talking about we need states that remain free. We need states that are willing to be sanctuaries, that are willing to to stand up to federal overreach and, and breach of the Constitution. In Atlas Shrugged, if you haven't read it, um, in Atlas Shrugged, basically what happens is all of these big moguls who are really like working, they're trying to build legitimate businesses, they're trying to build a, a good a good society. And what they're running into is they're running into regulations, they're running into insane um, social controls, things like that. And finally, what ends up happening is they just start disappearing. And where did they go? Well, there was this valley that John Galt be- that started, and they all just leave there. And they, they leave, they go there, and they start their own thing. And they just go, you know what? We're not part of your world anymore. We're going to do our own thing. We're going to build our own society here. We are not going to be subject to your insanity. And I really think that that's what these free states need to be able to become. Because if they do what I think they're about to do, it is going to be nearly impossible for anyone to run a legitimate business, for anyone to live free, for people to, I mean, there's even, there's, there's a lot of arguments out there that your children shouldn't, you should not be allowed to teach your children that they should have to go to public schools, they should have to be taught by the government, which means that whatever the government decides they want your children to think and believe, that's what they're going to get. And so we need a place that we can go to where we can then begin to constitutionally and peacefully branch back out into the rest of politics and start to reclaim a lot of this territory that we've lost. And that's not really where Atlas Shrugged went. Atlas Shrugged was really just, hey, screw you guys, we're leaving. We can't just bail, right? We, we need to fight. We need to take this thing back. We need to, and we need to do this constitutionally. But we are going to have to have a place that's safe enough to do that from. Or if you read the Gulag Archipelago, or any of the related texts. There's a lot of stuff out there about that time period. What happened? The people did not see it coming. They really didn't. In fact, a lot of the people in the Gulag, Solzhenitsyn himself, he thought that it was a mistake. And he thought that any day now, they were going to come and say, we're sorry, we made a mistake. Let him out. He'd go back to his normal life. Which was a common sentiment expressed by all of the party members as they started rolling into the Gulags. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But, but again, this, this, was not, this was not some crazy over-the-top fictional movie. Part of what lets these things happen as well is people seeing injustices and thinking, well, it doesn't affect me. I don't have to do anything about that until it comes to the next group. Oh, it still doesn't affect me. I can stay in my bubble. I don't have to do anything about that. And soon enough, it's at your doorstep and uh, there's no one left. Pretty sure there's a really famous Holocaust survivor that uh, outlined that for us. I mean, I think if you have any 
moral convictions, if, if you have any love for freedom, you should get involved. Get involved in your community, right? Prop up people that are doing good things. Uh, support your family. Strengthen your family units. Get involved in your church. Uh, do things do things locally. Just get involved. Yeah. All right. I think that's a good place to call it. As always, you can find me on Twitter and Parlor at Real Into the Fray. And till next week, be informed, stay safe, don't do anything stupid. Mm-hmm.